0: Hello, I'm Avi Kaufman. And I'm Ron Scharf. And this is Accent Insights. Today's May 7th, 2020, and we have a special guest with us, John VanScoik. Uh, John, you do many things in the town. One of many that right now is that you're running for select board. Um, but something in particular that I admire about what you do, John, is you bring a lot of transparency to our town meetings and processes. They post these great write-ups on the Brookline townwide discussion group that informed the rest of us about what's happening in our town. How did that come about?
1: Well, it came about uh, because of my history uh, of being a, a local newspaper editor for Brookline quite a number of years ago. <laughs> it was a great way to start a, a career in journalism because you learn um, from firsthand experience that people really care about their local news. Um, At least they did back then. And I did that for 10 years before I transitioned to a career in television as a producer of news. And uh, it never left me. And so many years later, when I retired from my career, I faced the decision that a lot of retirees face, which is, what am I going to do next? And the answer came back to me immediately. "Uh, I'm going to do something about the the dearth of interest in town hall affairs in Brookline, when you look at the turnout in a local election and it's ten uh, percent or less of the electorate, you've got a problem.
0: You're just doing this as as like an individual. You're just going to these meetings and stalking these, stalking uh, these isn't meetings, prefer- essentially. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I try to do my best impersonation of of a uh, you know objective newspaper reporter. I want to be trusted for my, the the information I convey.
2: Now, John, I, you, you said that you're trying to bring town hall out to the people um, on the Facebook group, but I, you know, the Facebook group is evidence that there are people who are engaged and and want to know. I mean, do you think that um, there needs to just be a greater effort to use new media to, to reach people?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely feel that. I mean, you, you know, You could start by making the case that uh, what choice do we have? And that's a reality. Uh, We've got to find some way of getting news out uh, that, that serves the purpose of informing citizens so they can make intelligent decisions about their local democracy. But for all of the the complaints about Facebook, and and I I get that, um, you know, it can turn into these kind of flame wars between people. Um, There's that element to it. And it got a deservedly, it got a bad name because of what happened during the 2016 election. On the other hand, people need to realize, uh, and I say this with some humility, going back to my days as a newspaper editor. Um, I never got the response as a local newspaper editor to what I was putting in the paper that I get on Facebook. Um, it's a different world altogether. It's real time. The Brookline Townwide discussion page, I think it now reaches upwards of 5000 people or it's climbing towards 5000 people Um and uh, that's not quite as many as we used to claim as the circulation of our, you know, local weekly newspaper. But on the other hand, <laughs> you, you never know. Uh, it could get eighty-five responses. You know, by the next day, uh, sometimes it gets two responses or zero responses. But believe me, I, I, I never had 85 responses. I'm not sure I had 85 responses over, uh, over a lifetime at the Brookline Chronicle Citizen, but people are talking to me all the time about stuff
0: uh, that I communicate on Facebook. One of the things that, that overlaps um, with, with your interest and with what we do, um, there seems to be a lot of interest now in affordable housing in Brookline. How you thinking about this in the context of the town and the various competing priorities that a town has to consider? Yeah. And just full disclosure, I'm I'm sort of in that demographic of, of thinking that more density and upzoning is a good thing generally.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I I welcome it. I welcome it first of all. Um, and uh, I, at the same time, I feel as though we're need we're going to need to have a meeting of the minds about this because uh, there isn't anyone in Brooklyn that I know. Um, who is okay with the way the price of housing has gone through the roof. Uh, And a lot of us have lived it. And we've lived it in the sense that we were the lucky ones. Uh, I'm talking about people more in my age group who bought back in the 70s or so, uh, mid-70s, early 80s. We've seen the appreciation that has happened, but we face the reality that our own kids could not afford to live in the community that we know and love. And um, sure, we'd love to have a solution uh, to that problem, not, you know, and not just for our kids, but for for everybody else who would love the experience that we had of living in a community and raising their kids in a community that's got the kind of quality of life that Brookline has. So let's, for starters, agree that um, no one approach to how to um, increase the amount of affordable housing in Brooklyn owns the issue of affordable housing. Uh, That issue belongs to everybody and it needs to be discussed by everybody.
2: I will say that one of the things that I've noticed recently, um, you know, as a developer, there's a lot of concerns. You know, neighbors are very, very concerned about the character of their neighborhood, um, changes to the block, density and massing. And you find uh, with uh, with longtime Brookline residents a lot of fear and and uh, reaction that way. But what I've seen recently with these new affordable housing initiatives and groups that are sort of coalescing is there's a younger crowd out there that is that has been you know frustrated by the pricing in in Brookline and and what that has done to the character of the community and and who it's keeping out and who it's you know holding in. Um, and just that the the price of entry has gotten so high, these people yeah. seem to be uh, toward greater density, and they want to upzone. Many of them, not all, but I've heard things that I've never heard before. Like I've never heard right. community groups get together and say, "We need more density. We need less parking requirements." Uh, you, what you know? What are you seeing?
1: I mean, when when I hear people say zoning is the problem, it to me it sounds like they're saying neighborhoods that have single family zoning are the problem. And I know those neighborhoods and I've, I know the people from those neighborhoods. And I don't know too many of them who say, bring it on, we're tired of our neighborhood and we want it to be completely transformed into a different kind of a neighborhood. Many of them um, have fought long and hard for the neighborhood quality of life that exists today And they want that for other people to enjoy as well. And um, it just doesn't make sense to them that somebody who has a different idea of what is the ideal neighborhood should come to them and say, we don't think your neighborhood is the right kind of neighborhood. Um, The right kind of neighborhood is a neighborhood that has multifamilies and this and that and the other. Sorry, Um, say goodbye to your neighborhood because we've got a new idea. And uh, uh, we'll just have to figure out how we can get it through town meeting.
0: Right. But that's not what anyone's proposing. Exactly. Right. Like one idea is that anything that's in a single family zone uh, would be allowed to have a two family in the same building. But it doesn't necessarily add stories. Right. And it certainly doesn't force anyone to up. So it doesn't force you to turn your single family into a two family. No. Uh, if you want to have a single family, um, you you know, you pay for it and it's yours and you can keep it a single family. Um, I think that's more the proposal to our voluntary increasing of the number of, of units and the same footprint.
1: Right. And, and you know, uh, uh, Avi, you were very generous to, um, you know, take some time with me and we had our own conversation, uh, not on this podcast, uh, not too many days ago. And, uh, you know, I think we just have a for now. I'm going to just say for now, we have a different point of view on this because I honestly think we'll eventually come around to some kind of a middle ground point of view. I don't understand why people think that we've taken what is an affordable housing problem and redefined it as a single-family neighborhood problem, that somehow we will have solved the affordable housing problem if we can just figure out a way to evolve these single-family neighborhoods into multifamily neighborhoods. There's any number of other approaches that can be taken to addressing uh, the need for more affordable housing that are going to be much more immediate and much less divisive uh, than to suggest this um, transformative idea that single family neighborhoods need to be a thing of the past. Because an awful lot of people aren't ready for that and uh, for good reasons. <laughs> I, I want to ask uh, the, the folks, uh, you know, I'll, I would gladly ask the, the folks from Brookline for Everyone what is it about the single family neighborhood that, that you don't like? I mean, is it the, the open space? Is it that families can have their kids play in their backyard or, um, you know, play in the street and they can feel safe? Um, it, it, is it that People like to uh, take walks, and, and you know, feel as though maybe the air is a little fresher, and they get more of a sense of um, being out with nature.
2: You know, I, I think nobody has anything against any of that. I think it's really the notion of that's not available. If you didn't buy, you know, in the eighties or early nineties, just doesn't feel like it's accessible and. You know, I, I, it's funny that you, you've keyed in on the single family because, you know, I live I live near Stop and Shop and I live in an F zone. And that, that was a relatively recent – F zone is a three-family zone that was a relatively recent innovation in Brookline. I think in the last, I think, 15 or 20 years ago, it was down zoned from an M. You know, we obviously talk to different people because I don't I don't necessarily hear it in the single family zone. For example, the the parking requirements – uh, which have recently been relax- relaxed in the zoning code as well. But the parking requirements are a problem, you know, in the, in the dense places where you want to put, let's say, a four unit in a, in a multi unit area, but you can't because the number of bedrooms dictate that you need more parking than is, is available. So I don't know that it's exclusively, uh, you know, an S, an S problem,
1: but. Right. Well, that's the kind of middle ground issue that I'm talking about where, where I could definitely uh, agree with, with some of the folks um, from Brookline for everyone. And I I might even be able to agree with Avi, who knows? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. Don't don't bother trying. On parking. I see that point entirely and I agree with it. Um, I think it's ridiculous too. And in fact, you might recognize the name Michael Zurab. I've been very impressed with the work he's done on the parking issue. And he, and he's, he's part of um, Proclaim for Everyone. I, I want to do more uh, collaborative work on things like the parking issue, but it's going to be hard to get started on that if we get distracted by uh, the sense that people have that their real agenda is somehow to threaten single-family neighborhoods um, as being part of Brookline's future, along with multifamily
0: neighborhoods. Of all the proposals, another one that's divisive as well, which we might be more on the same page, um, I'm not sure, is the, the transfer tax. This is the one where when a property sells the town is looking for permission from the state legislature to levy a transfer tax, which uh, nominally would be 1% of the purchase price paid by the buyer and 1% paid by the seller on all the dollar value above $500,000. So for example, if you bought a house for, um, you know, $1.5 million, then an additional $20,000 would be owed to the town on that sale.
2: Right. No, we did. We did talk about that. And actually what you're saying is if you bought a house for, $1.5 one point five million dollars, and you turned it around for one point five five million dollars, and you made fifty thousand dollars on it. That's going to the town because uh, <laughs> it's not it's not on the game. The proposal is not on the game. The, the proposal is on on the gross uh, sale price.
0: And that's my major one of my major objections to that as well. Is, is there's a lot of edge cases in, in an up market where people sell for less or they have to move after two years or, or they take a loss and this feels like rubbing salt in the wounds and it doesn't seem like it spreads the tax fairly to those who had the most benefit from the rising market so someone who sells for 1.5 but bought for 1.49 pays the same tax as someone who sold for 1.5 but bought for 20 20 years ago yeah, yeah. So, if you don't mind, I'll pr- I'll propose.
1: Uh, by the way, I'm, you two are very interesting, and I, you want to have you ought to do a podcast together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're working on it.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this, and you're making it much too easy for me. No, um, well, I was just going to say I'll go out on a limb a little bit and, and predict that I think that the property transfer tax is something that a lot of us are actually going to come together on. In um, I don't know the next year, two years maybe, and and here's why the the impact of COVID 19 is going to be devastating um, on revenues to do just the things that we are accustomed to doing, and it has already been devastating to individual households where you know um, some some member of the family has lost a job, and the solution. To those two realities, or the, you know, the the recognition of those two realities and the impact on revenues uh, of of COVID-19 is going to lead to people seeking new revenues. And the logical place to seek the new revenues in a time of economic hardship um, is from people who have the most and who would be hurt the least by having to pay more, so redistributive um, taxation is going to make a lot of sense to people. Um, you know, it's always made a lot of sense to people, but it's sometimes it's hard to get it, you know, over the hurdle. But in this case, uh, we're in, you know, we're in a emergency. We cannot afford to ignore one another's needs. Going forward, and we've got to kind of reassert some fundamental obligations of society, and and that is those who have the most have to share with those who have the least. In a time of of economic boom and prosperity, it's just kind of ironic that this is the case. Um, I, I think people make the excuse oh, everybody's doing well, you know, so we can put aside these questions of social obligation and that kind of stuff. Uh, but we're not in a time of boom anymore. We're facing a possible recession. I think we've got to get back to much more of, a, of an ethic of sharing. And I think we have to figure out how can we use the the property tax or the real estate transfer tax, excuse me, to be that mechanism. And uh, Avi put his finger on it. it. It's not going to be fair if it's a tax that hits people who lost in, in, the, in the great sort of casino game of buying and selling property. But it will be fair if it falls most heavily on people who had the largest gains. And you know, quite honestly, that's people, I, I have to admit, maybe that's a, a family like our own here, because we just lucked out. I mean, the timing was good in our case. And, and we have had a huge gain. I think that that's gonna be accepted. The other half of the equation is, it's not enough to take that revenue and apply it to only one objective. It just isn't. Affordable housing isn't the only thing that we're gonna have to deal with in the next year, two years, three years. Affordable housing problem existed before. There's all kinds of new problems that we didn't have before that we're gonna have in the next year or two or three years. In terms of underfunded schools, underfunded streets,
0: underfunded parks and playgrounds, underfunded libraries. Just to make that explicit, too, um, if if I may interrupt for a second, these are naturally connected in a sense, right? Because right now, a local town or city in, in Massachusetts, its revenue is almost entirely from Property taxes from real estate, and so uh, Brookline is one of the things that makes it very attractive to many people is the quality of its schools, which is funded by its real estate taxes. But so these are fundamentally connected. What you're saying is, do a new tax only on on real estate to not apply it to other things that the town has obligations on. Uh, it doesn't make sense, essentially, right? Yeah. Uh, and maybe the property tax overall is not the right structure then for. Taxes in general.
1: Well, yeah, that's a different discussion altogether. But anyway. Well, the, I, um, actually,
2: I have a stupid question, John, because you said that the town, you know, the COVID crisis is going to cause shortfall in revenue for the town. But in as much as the town revenue is largely property tax based, why do you think that's so? I, I, I read about people getting abatements or, or forbearance on mortgages and things like that, but my property tax bill is due.
1: It's going to take some time to figure out, you know, how all of this plays out. But I'm going to quote an authority no less than the chair of our advisory committee, Michael Sandman, who thinks that we could be looking at some kind of a double-digit loss uh, impact um, on our overall revenues from a variety of factors, uh, from uh, from local receipts and from uh, anticipated cuts perhaps in state aid. Uh, we won't know until it happens. I mean, there's so much ebb and flow right now in terms of um, emergency programs coming from the federal government and figuring out exactly how those will soften the impact in various respects it'd be crazy to plan for a budget that is as generous as the prior years budget and so the process has already begun of planning budgets that are say 5% less or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9% less that's just a reality but I want to say one more thing about the real estate transfer tax, the property transfer tax, because I don't want to alarm folks who hear me say, you know, it's going to have to fall on those who can afford it the most, and immediately jump to the conclusion, holy cow, you know, what kind of a hit are we talking about? I think it's it's got to be reasonable. And people talk about a 1% tax or a 2% tax or a 3% tax. But before people were talking about it, as a possible capital gains tax, and we're talking about it as a straight sales tax. Uh, 1% was reasonable, Um, 2%, I don't think so, 3%, absolutely not. And so that has to be part of the discussion too.
0: You've you've lived in Brookline a long time, and uh, you're clearly very involved in the town. Um, So something that we've, we've asked guests before is, in your opinion, what is it exactly that makes Brookline so special? My simple answer to what
1: I think is special about Brookline is the quality that attracted my wife and I to it when we first got married. It was a no-brainer to me that this was a community where we wanted to raise a family. We didn't, you know, we didn't have kids. Uh, we just got married, and yet. I knew enough of Brookline from having edited the newspaper here that uh, I knew this was the kind of community that people wanted to raise their kids. I think there's, of course, there's plenty of room for people who come through and, you know, are only here three or four years. And there's plenty of room for people of every lifestyle, including singles. And, you know, it's not all families. But the defining characteristic is if you've got that core of people who see it as a community they want to get rooted in. That quality is very hard to capture. And Brookline definitely had it uh, in in 1975 when Barbara and I got married. And I think in many respects still has it today. But we need to sort of um, spread that same feeling of uh, community rootedness to everyone in Brookline. Well, this
2: this has been fabulous, John. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your thoughts on a bunch of things.
0: Thank you, John, so much. And um, for, for anyone that uh, is, is listening, um, we'll put John's contact info in the in the show notes if you want to shoot him an email as well. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us, John. This has been great. Yeah, and thanks
2: to all of
1: you. You're listeners. welcome. We'll do it again.
2: Next week, I think we'll be back with our normal fare, what's happening in the Brookline real estate market in probably the strangest time any of us has ever seen. So until then, we hope everyone stays safe and, and healthy, and you'll hear us then.